You're listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to church. My name is David, one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad that uh, to see everyone, and a special welcome if you are new. And uh, some of you may have come to church for one of the first times last last weekend uh, during our Easter weekend and decided to come back and we're glad that you're with us and we'd like to invite you for lunch, as John was saying. We're going to have um, a luncheon uh, just afterwards. And again, yeah, many of you missed out on the, on the last big snowfall of the year. It was the last one, right? <laughs> Turns out I'm not a very good prophet when it comes to weather. Uh, so it, it, uh, who knows? Yeah, maybe we're done with snow. Um, last weekend, though, uh, you were introduced, maybe for the first time, um, to the greatest person and the greatest event in human history. The person is Jesus Christ, and the event is his death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. And some of you may be back here this morning wanting to know more about this Jesus. Well, I have great news for you. Today we are embarking on a new series and we're diving into just who this Jesus is and what he taught and there's no better place for us to learn this than in a sermon that Jesus gives um, in the book of Matthew um, between chapters 5 and 7 and it's historically known as what? Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be walking through the Sermon on the Mount for the next few months. And there's a bonus feature. Um, we are doing a deep dive on this on Tuesday nights, my Tuesday night class at 7 o'clock in the Burke Room. You can come in person or on Zoom. And uh, so we're going to be going deep, deep on Tuesday or uh, in, in our life groups. So many of, most of our life groups are going to be walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And I was thinking about this. The Sermon on the Mount is kind of like, like if you've never heard of Jesus before, you're not that familiar, uh, the Sermon on the Mount is kind of like uh, Jesus' greatest hits, like a greatest hits album. Do you guys know albums, some of you? Okay. <laughs> some of you are more Spotify. This is like the This Is Jesus playlist, right? Um, it's, it's, and, and, and even if you've never been to church before, and I didn't grow up in the church at all, but I had heard some of these expressions before, like, turn the other cheek. Comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the meek shall inherit the earth. I remember one of my favorite bands, Rush, had that as a great little. Anyhow, I didn't know where it was from. It's from, from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Um, don't worry about tomorrow. Consider the lilies. You are the salt of the earth. This is all from the Sermon on the Mount. And so, what I like to do this morning is I like to set things up. Uh, I'd like to set things up for what we hope will be a, transfer, a transformative journey for you over these next few months. And so I'd like to introduce us to, um, I think, the most important teaching a human being can ever hear. And we're going to hear an invitation into a world, into a way of living, into a life that will change your life for good and for the good. And it helps that we're going to hear this teaching. We're going to hear teaching from the smartest person who's ever walked this planet. And so to set things up, um, we're going to begin by looking at Matthew chapter 4, just before the Sermon on the Mount. 
And so if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Uh, it's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 4. And I'm just going to set things up a little bit. Uh, we'll begin in, in verse 12. So Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. In honor of God's word, let's stand together as we read this. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version translation. Verse 12. Now when he heard... when. Um, when Jesus heard, when, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of, of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And this is a prophecy. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout Galilee, teaching in, the, in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics. And he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Now seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Jesus, we come before you recognizing that we are completely dependent upon you. You're our life, and we come before you. You're the smartest person who's ever, ever walked this planet. And you speak to us. You're not a philosophy. You're not a set of propositions. You're not just some ideas, but you're personal, and you speak. So give us ears to hear from you. Soften hard hearts. Give us eyes to see. And then grant us a courage to respond to what you say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Now, before we dive in, I want to begin with an observation. Um, there's a lot of talk in the news. For the last number of years, in fact. On, in the news and on social media. And a lot of the talk is about the decline of the church in Canada. I read, you know, people are leaving the church in droves and churches are emptying. And, and it, it, I'd like to humbly push back a little bit. I actually believe that there's something happening in the church in Canada right now. I think there's something happening. There seems to be a hunger that I've never seen before. There's a hunger for something that's real. There's a hunger um, for something on which we can build our lives and stand. And I find a lot of people are just frustrated. 
They're frustrated and they're overwhelmed by being blown about by every strange idea that flies through their newsfeed. And I think our world is hungry. Hunger, they're hungry for something that offers a new way of living, a way of living that may bring meaning to life and where we can truly flourish as human beings. I think there's a real hunger for this. Now, here's a problem, though, is that if you tell somebody, it's like, I'm hungering, I'm, I, I long for meaning in my life, and you say, well, you know, you'll find it, it's the church. Sometimes that doesn't go over very well. Uh, if you mention, hey, you know, this, the church, church is the answer to the questions. And a lot of people say, well, you know what, really? Because the church seems kind of out of touch. The church seems out of touch with reality. And a lot of churches are, are accused of just being dead. And that, I think, is a real sad. It's, it's sad to hear that. And I think it's a real problem because that is not what Jesus is inviting us into. That is not what Jesus w desires for our life. Jesus is life, and he is inviting us into his life. And this is the message that is proclaimed, that it ought to be proclaimed by the church. And so what is this life? What is this life that Jesus is inviting us into? Well, it's actually described in the Sermon on the Mount. And so the invitation this morning is for you and I to come to the Mount and to sit at the feet of Jesus, the smartest person who ever lived, and, let, and in hear him preach the most explosive words that the world has ever heard. When Jesus' words are taken seriously... If you allow Jesus in, our lives will change for the, for the good. You and I will become more human. And the people in your circle will see this. They'll see a change in your life. And I guarantee it, they'll see a change in their life and they'll notice it. And they'll desire it. I mean, that's what happened to me. I was an atheist, I had no interest in God, but I had a buddy who was a Christian, and, and I saw something in him, and I'm like, man, I wish I had that in my life. And what I saw in him was the life that Jesus has for us. So here's the posture that I'm bringing as we look at the Sermon on the Mount. I'm a fellow sojourner with you. I'm reading lots on this, but I'm discovering things the same way as, as you are. And just so you know, I haven't arrived. <laughs> I haven't arrived at all. And if, 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 if you were in that black truck that cut me off when I was biking the other day, you know, you know from some of the things, <laughs> some of the things I said to you as you drove by that I haven't quite arrived yet. Um, <laughs> you know what the irony was? Okay, so this happened the other day. Man, this is on, on the uh, live feed, too. Oh, well. If you're out there, sorry. I didn't mean to say those things, you in the black truck. Um, but the funny part was is that, you know, I'm biking to work. And I'm a courteous biker, and this guy cut me off, and I said some things I shouldn't say. But the strange part was is when I came to, to the church, I, I was supposed to lead a devotional for our staff on the benefits of silence and solitude. So there's a lot of irony there. Um, but here's the thing. My desire, my desire is to become a Sermon on the Mount kind of guy. I want the truths of Jesus' teaching 
to permeate my heart so deeply that how I live my life will change, that my affections will change, that how I spend my time will change, my priorities will change in accordance to Jesus' teaching here on the mount. You see, Jesus, Jesus is alive in ways that I am not. He sees things in ways that I do not. And my desire, my desire is to have my life increasingly conformed to the way of Jesus. So let me ask you, is that your desire too? Do you desire that? Let's turn our attention. Let's, let's look at the Sermon on the Mount. What, what is the Sermon on the Mount? Well, first off, the Sermon on the Mount is a product, is a product of the gospel. Now, we need to see this. Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount right after he announces the gospel, the good news. And so let me put it differently. Before we enter into the teaching of Jesus, we need to begin with the grace that Jesus offers. And we, you know, we saw this, right, when we did the Ten Commandments, if you're around. You don't just jump into the Ten Commandments. Otherwise, you know, if you try to do the Ten Commandments on your own, if you try to live out the Sermon on the Mount on your own without grace, you are, what's the theological term to describe yourself? Toast. You are toast. Yeah, you cannot do this, right? And so you saw that with the Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments begin with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. It begins with grace. Same too with the Sermon on the Mount. It begins with grace. And we need to get this. Otherwise, if we don't, if we miss the grace and we jump into the Sermon on the Mount, we fall into two, one of two ditches. The first ditch is the ditch of idealism. It's like, wow, this is really good teaching. I'm going to try to be a Sermon on the Mount kind of guy on my own. And and you'll fail. And when you fail, you'll become cynical. You know that. You, you scratch a cynic and you have a, you have a disappointed idealist, right? Anybody who's really cynical, if you scratch it, you go under the surface, they're a disappointed idealist. So you don't feel, so idealism, you fall into the ditch of idealism. The other ditch is the ditch of legalism. You know, you want to be a Sermon on the Mount kind of guy, and so you read the teachings of, you know, Jesus, blessed are the meek. Okay, I'll be meek. I'm meek. I'm meek. I'm really meek. And then after a while, I was like, man, I'm not that meek. But that's okay. That's okay. Because I'm meeker than him. I don't have to be that meek. I just need to be a little bit more meek than him. Right? And what's this called? This is called self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Now, I know this could come as a shock, but apparently, apparently, sometimes in churches, self-righteousness shows up. I know, it's, it's, it's kind of a shock, but uh, it's true. And so we need to be careful. We begin with grace. So we begin with the gospel, and that leads to another question. <laughs> what is the gospel? Because Jesus, we read Jesus, he's carrying out his public ministry. He, re he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we read, he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. What is this good news that Jesus is preaching? 
We see in the book of Mark, at the beginning, Jesus' is beginning of his ministry, he says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Believe the gospel. So what is this good news that Jesus is proclaiming with his coming? Now, this is a really important question. What is the good news? What is the gospel? In fact, it's one of the most important questions you can ask. There's three important questions that you need to ask in life. One is, who is Jesus? The second question is, what is the gospel? And the third question is, can I trust him? Those are the three most important questions you can ask in life. Now, as we see, the big news is that Jesus, in his coming, he says, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Matthew uses the language, the kingdom of heaven. In, other, in the other gospels, it's the kingdom of God. It means the same thing. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. And what it's saying is because of the coming of Jesus, because the coming of Jesus, history has reached a crisis point. And things will never, ever be the same again. Because of Jesus, the long-awaited, the long-anticipated kingdom of God is now, in Jesus, breaking into this world. In Mark, we read Jesus saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. The time is fulfilled. Now, some of you know, in the Bible, there's two words for time. What are the two words? You know the Greek words. Chronos, yeah, chronos is the word. It's tick-tock time, chronology, right? That's not the word that Jesus uses. What's the word he uses? Kairos. It's translated time, but what that means is not tick-tock time. It's the right time, the fullness of time, the perfect time. And Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. And what Jesus is saying is absolutely huge. What he's saying is that the world, with his coming, the world is entering a new era and things will never be the same again. God's glorious reign of justice, of love, of grace, of hope has broken in to humanity. And so the good news of Jesus Christ is that there's a new way of living that is decisively broken into this world. The kingdom of God has broken into this world. It is at hand, God's reign. And here's the thing, and, and the possibilities of a new humanity is at hand in and through Jesus. Now this is really important because in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, people, they, they looked forward to this time. But they thought it was way off in the distance. I think we have a chart. Yeah, I, I got this from Daryl Johnson, this, this, this chart. He's a, pr a preacher in, in Vancouver on one of his books. And, and so it begins with creation. If you read the Old Testament, you read, you know, God creates the world. He creates it good, creates humanity. Humanity is very good. But humanity says, we don't need you, God. We are, we can be better gods on our own. And so they try to be God on their own. As a result, they, there's, there's a break there's a rupture that takes place between humanity and God and also humanity and each other. And that's called the fall. And right after the fall takes place, God enters into the work of repairing the damage. And in the Old Testament, he, he, he works to repair the damage through this person named Abraham. He says, Abraham, through you, I'm going to make you into a great nation. It should be Israel. And then through this nation, all the nations of the world would be blessed. 
And so the, the work of repairing is taking place in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, there's this sense that, okay, there will come a day. There will come a day where God will make everything right. There will come a day where God will fix this problem. And that day is a day of the Lord. But it's way off in the future. It's way off in the future. But, oh, it'll be a glorious day. Because when that day happens, there will be... Um, resurrection. All those who have died, they will be resurrected. But it's way off in the future. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus starts saying things. In the middle of history, Jesus comes and he makes this announcement. He says, the, he says, the time is fulfilled. Now. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. And what Jesus is saying is that that day that you're thinking about that takes place way in the future, you know, you think the resurrection is going to take place in the future? In Jesus' life, death and resurrection, Jesus is proclaiming that that day, the day of the Lord that you think is way off in the future, the day is now. The day has come now. That heaven has come now. And so the, the, so the realities of the kingdom are now. And we need to get this. That means we can get the taste of the things of God and his kingdom now. I'll tell you, this, we, if, most of us don't get, like, I didn't get this for the longest time. I used to think, well, you know, good thing about Jesus, because he died for my sins, means if I go home and I get hit by a truck, I get to go to heaven. So, hey, that's kind of cool. Which it is cool if you get hit by a truck. You get to go to heaven if you trust in Jesus. But it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. The realities of the kingdom you and I can experience now because of what Jesus has done. Now, it's not fully, fully realized, and so we live in this tension that theologians call, what, the already but not yet, right? It, it, it describes that tension. But the reality is, is that there's so many things about the kingdom of God that you and I can experience now. We can experience the realities. So eternal life, you know, we think about eternal life. Oh, when I die, I get to live forever. No. If you align your life to Jesus, who is life, eternal life, guess when it begins? Now. It begins now. And, and, and Jesus says, I will give you my very presence, the Holy Spirit. You will have God dwelling within you. And you will see things and you'll experience things that you would never have thought were possible. You can become the person that you never thought was possible because of the work of the kingdom is happening now. And so this is a reality behind the life and ministry of Jesus. And this is a reality behind the Sermon on the Mount. And we need to see this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And it will affect not just Sunday morning, it'll affect when you go to work tomorrow. It'll affect when you go to school tomorrow. It'll affect your relationships. Um, it affects the sacred and the secular, the visible and the invisible, the individual and society. Every aspect of reality has been touched and it can be touched by the gospel. Challenges, do you believe this? Yeah. And some of you, if you're like me, you'd be, yes, I believe this. Help me in my unbelief. Help me to believe what I say I believe. 
I mean, the question I also have is, is, how do we enter into this? This sounds great. How do we enter into this? Well, again, we don't do it through our own self-effort. <laughs> you don't do it through your own self-effort. You, you are, you're toast if you try to do that. Jesus has not come for us to try harder to be good. That is not why Jesus has come, for us to work a little bit harder in improving ourselves. No. How do we enter into this life? Well, he tells us. And it's via a very old-fashioned word. And the word is repent. Now, I know some of you hear the word repent, and your mind goes to, you know, an old sweat-stained preacher, you know, oh, you got to repent, repent. Turn to Jesus and repent, right? Like, no, yeah, it's, it's so much more than repent. It, repent simply means turn around. You're living your life in a way that's leading to dead ends. If you keep going the way you're going, it's, you're, it's not going to end well. When I was living overseas, when I was an atheist, I saw my life. I was, I was in a position where I was going to be hired by an Italian mafiosa to work as his assistant in Beijing. And I was going to take the job. And I, one night I just thought, if I keep going, I'm dead. And so God in his grace led me to turn around. And, 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 and you turn around and you live, right? Because you're turning away from dead. You're turning around from the things that are going to kill you. And who are you turning towards? The one who says, I am life. So when you turn around, who are you facing? You're facing life. You're That's what repentance is. It's just turning and walking with the one who says, I am life. And so the Sermon on the Mount describes this life. John Stott, who's a commentator um, from the 20th century, he says, um, the Sermon on the Mount describes what human life and human community look like when they come under the gracious rule of God. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we'll see this. We're going to see this theme. Jesus contrasts the kingdom of God from the way other people live. He says, don't be like the Gentiles. What are the Gentiles? Well, the Gentiles are always trying to do things to impress others. They, they try to, you know, they're the original TikTok guys, right? They're always trying to get, get everybody to see what they're doing, right? And, and get as many people following them as possible. He says, don't be like them. And the same way, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the religious elite who are doing things in a way to, sh to look righteous, but really they're dead on the inside. Jesus says, no, we need to live differently. We need to live different from the stale religion we see, um, different from the, from the world uh, in which we live and, and work. Jesus is offering us a picture of a new humanity and what this new humanity can look like. So, if you're, if you're game to enter into this journey, what can we expect? What can you expect from this journey through the Sermon on the Mount? Well, one, expect to be changed. Expect to be changed for the good. The Sermon on the Mount covers the whole of life. The Sermon on the Mount covers all of life. One commentator that I'm reading right now suggests that the entire sermon is about wholeness. It's about living out of a center of reality. And you know what? So many of us, so many of us live our lives without the center. We just live in the periphery of life. 
we, you know, we, we find our identity in, in, in our work, or we find our identity in our, in our, in our family, or we find our identity in our, in, our, in our social media presence, or we find our identity in what other people think of us. We find our identity, and we live our lives on the periphery, and we try to find, but we have no sense of self. We don't know who we are. Winston Churchill talked about this one guy who was a politician who basically was a politician that would go whichever way the wind was blowing. And Winston Churchill says, when this guy was alone in a room, nobody was there. Because he only knew himself in relationship to other people. And so many of us go through life and we have no center. We have no center. And the Sermon on the Mount will teach us how to be human, how to be centered in the human Jesus Christ. And it will teach us how to flourish in the world that we're living in. Now, I don't know about you, but I long for this in my own life. I long to be transformed. I long to not react when some guy cuts me off when I'm biking. Like, I really do. I don't want to react that way anymore. I desire to be whole. And to be truly and fully human. That's my desire. Is it yours? And so, if you dive into this, expect to be changed. And secondly, expect Jesus to change every aspect of your life. Not just Sunday morning. (laughs) Sometimes it's easy to follow Jesus on Sunday morning. Monday, Monday is a different story. And so, what, what will this sermon do? Well, it'll address our character. Um, we're going to start next week and we'll dive in. Uh, we'll look at the, uh, the, what are known as the Beatitudes, the, the blessed are, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we begin, the Sermon on the Mount begins with eight principal markers, markers of a, of, of a kingdomized person. What does he or she look like? What does it mean to be blessed? So we'll look at those. We'll look at the first two next week. The sermon will will also lay out how you and I are to live in this world. What does it mean to be salt and light? What is Jesus talking about here? The sermon will teach us practicalities of life. How do we see marriage? How we understand civic engagement? Um, How we understand our anger and and our desire to get even when somebody cuts you off. Um, It will will explore... um, Topics like lust and love and how to tell the difference between the two. It will help cultivate a heart of a Christ follower, how to live in the loving presence of the Father. The the Sermon on the Mount will actually teach you how to pray. And for me, that's, that's, I I want to become better at praying. Prayer is difficult for me. It's something I struggle with. And, And so Jesus teaches us how to pray. The Sermon on the Mount addresses worry and anxiety that paralyze us. Anybody here struggle with worry and anxiety? No? No? Oh, yeah, I didn't think so. You guys lie like a cheap rug. Yeah. Anybody here struggle with, uh, with how about money? Because Jesus talks about money. How about anxiety about money? <laughs> he combines them all. Anybody worried about the future? Well, Jesus, in this, he's going to invite us to see the world differently. The Sermon on the Mount will speak to our, our day-to-day relationships. Um, finally, it will expose. What are, we, what are we basing our life on? Uh, are, are we 
are we placing our life, are we placing the, the weight of our soul on something that is solid or something that's very sandy that will drift away? And so in preparation, I'll offer you another theological term. Buckle up. Uh, buckle up and turn your gaze to the preacher of the sermon, Jesus Christ. Are you ready for this? I love, um, it's, it's interesting, when Jesus, when he's preaching the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, when it gets to the end, we read something quite interesting, right at the very end in chapter 7. And it says, when Jesus finished his, these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribe. And it's interesting. He said, man, this guy's got authority. And the word authority, it's an interesting word. The word in, in Greek is exousia. But what it means is it means from the being or from the self. And so what it's saying is this guy's teaching not other people's stuff. He's teaching in such a way that shows that he has authority and we need to listen. That Jesus is teaching us out of who he truly is and he's inviting us to share in his life. And as one guy says, another guy that I've been reading this week, a guy named... Um, E. Stanley Jones, who's a missionary to India. He says, the greatest need of modern Christianity is the rediscovery of the Sermon on the Mount as the only practical way to live. Now, I'll just give you a warning, though. If you do not want to change, if you're content with your life and the way things are, if you're content with your personality the way it is and your habits, your reactions and your life then I would advise you to skip this series. Because this series, man, it's going to challenge you. But if your desire is to no longer live on the periphery of life, but to be centered in Christ and to live the life you were created and redeemed to live, well then, hey, join, join my Tuesday night group. Come out every week. Join a life group and dive deep and you will be transformed. I love this uh, line by, uh, again, E. Stanley Jones. He says this. He says, the Sermon on the Mount was and is seditious. It finally put Jesus on the cross and it'll do the same for his followers who follow it in modern life. But it would not end there. There would be a resurrection so great, so transforming in human living that we would know by actual experimentation that it is the only way for us to live. And so Jesus is sitting at the top of the mount, and I, in my mind's eye, I can imagine crowds coming and going, some crowds kind of listening and carrying on, some people talking and not really paying attention, but others who are sitting down and saying, I need to hear this. Which one will you be? My desire is to sit with the disciples at the feet of Jesus' feet. And my desire is to become the person, the new human that the kingdom of God brings about and to become the person that I was created and redeemed to be. And the way, through, way into that is, is the Sermon on the Mount. So you game? All right, this is what we're going to dive into next week. But let's pray. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you that you are life.
and we turn away from all the paths that lead to dead ends. And we know they're leading to dead ends. And many people here this morning are following paths and they know it's not leading anywhere good. And so I pray, all of us, that we would turn and we would turn back to you and align our lives with you, the author of life. There's nowhere else we are gonna go. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You're the first and the last, the beginning and the end. You bookend all of reality. And so where else can we go? And so we turn to you, the author of life, and we pray that you would create us, um, that we'd be a new humanity, men and women whose heart's desire is to walk with you and to represent you to a world that is looking for hope, that's longing for meaning, and can find it in you, Jesus. So we ask these things not in our own strength, but in your name, Jesus. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.